Weather causing havoc right around the country, really disappointing for those fans yesterday in Hamilton wanting to see the Black Caps take on India. India, when the covers were brought on, the game was called off for 89 for one after 12.5 overs. The third ADI is to be played Wednesday. It's to be played in Christchurch, in Canterbury, Hagley Oval. Joining us on the programme to discuss that, to reflect on that wonderful 100 from Tom Latham on Friday night is former New Zealand international one day and T20 specialist Andrew Ellis. Andrew, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Mark. What do you do with yourself these days? Are you still involved with High Performance Sport New Zealand? Uh, yes, I am indeed. I'm the uh, yeah the South Island manager down uh, looking after things down in the in the south. So yeah, it's keeping me busy post uh, post cricket. So how many sports do you sort of got your eye across in that role? I'd imagine oh. a fair few. Yes, yeah, no, the, the HPSNZ world is, is stretching a lot further now than what it used to, and I think there's, well, I think we're in about the mid-30s now, the number of sports that receive some sort of investment, so it, uh, it's it's awesome to see, you know, some of the these my, smaller sports and, you know, wide-ranging communities getting some sort of funding and, and working out what, you know, what the performance element looks for them, because uh what inspires New Zealand is uh, is ever changing. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, and but it's a different world to cricket, that's for sure. So I'm I'm learning a lot. Yeah, look, I imagine you are. It, it is interesting, isn't it? That you know we've only got a small population, and therefore we just don't have size, and that's always going to make it difficult from a financial point of view. But I think with the advent of Sky Television and so many sports now being beamed into our living room, kids now get the opportunity to watch a lot more different sports and they get to see the pathways, they get to see what the pinnacle events are and it does put a lot of pressure on those more traditional sports like cricket, rugby, netball, rugby league who have probably had it their own way for a long time. Yeah, no, that's right and, and that's just the way of the world and, um, you know, the challenge is on for these sports to, you know, to produce, you know, great environments for these for these young people to want to, want to be part of and I think probably more than ever, um, you know the athletes are quite discerning of you know what a good environment is, and, and rightly so. So I mean it's, it's a good challenge to have, in, in my opinion. And, and you know these are sports and and you know areas that that go into different realms of our communities, you know different cultures, and you know that reflect New Zealand probably in a good way. So, but we also um, you know at the ones that do really well on the world stage too. So and ensuring that we do have that aspirational element to. To it as Kiwis, which you know is, is part of our fabric, Mark, as you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and what about yourself transitioning from being basically a full time athlete or a semi professional athlete, um, however you want to describe it, then sort of having to get out of that and I guess getting into the real world? Was it an easy transition for you or did it take a little bit of time? Uh, you know, it definitely took time. I, I was very fortunate to, um, to have a a few roles as I, as I sort of got to the back end of my career um, around sport. Um, and that paved the way for sort of post cricketing um, employment. But it, yeah, it was a challenge. I mean, you're getting out of somewhere which was your identity for for many many years, and and that's probably that that big word, isn't it? Identity these days, mm. and how do you, you know, not mm. tie your identity completely to your results on the field? Because that's inherently an up and down journey. So so just building those you know family and all that type of stuff and. Um, yeah, it, it was always going to be a challenge, and I think probably probably what I didn't realise was how much that that fulfilment part of it was probably always about you know how do you how do you keep the old wage level up and put food on the table for the family. But I think finding something that you know 
spun your wheels as much as what being a professional sports mm. person did, that was probably the biggest challenge. And how do you fill that gap that provided so much, you know, so unique for so many years? Yeah, I think cyclist Rushley Buchanan summed it up best in a news article because I was sort of trying to put my finger on it and what is it, what makes it tough? Um, and she said, is my life ever going to be as exciting as it has been? And I thought that was a really nice way of putting it because as an athlete, as a young person, yeah travelling yeah. the world, you don't have a lot of responsibilities at the point in your life where you're happy no. about that yeah. and life is yeah. exciting isn't it? Oh definitely definitely and, and I think the job you know of the leaders you know the coaches and the you know, high performance directors is, is to, to ensure that balance stays with the athletes throughout and I think you know as I got to that back part of the career you, you realise what actually was important you know when you went home after the game and you've you know, I've been smoked for six of that last ball and lost the game. You know, no one actually, you know, really cares. Everyone goes about their work and, you know, although you're gutted and, and everything like that, which is natural, but you go home, your family's there and, you know, the kids don't care. Mm. And, you know, that perspective, uh, you know, and you start to sort of reframe what's really important. And But you don't want to take, you know, when you're, having a, uh, when you're young and you're trying to make the best of yourself, you want to give everything you can. But just ensure that you've got a half an eye on what's coming up and, and what is really important in life, that the world keeps turning and the sun comes up the next day, even at, you know, despite how you do on the, on the field. Yeah, I mean, your career, you were plagued by injury at times, and um, you know, but you ended up playing for your country and reaching the highest level in the sport. What experiences can you draw, can you draw from that you can pass on to some of these athletes that you deal with or coaches? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's definitely, I mean, you've got to have the, obviously the physiological tools and, and, you know, the skill level, the talent is essential, but it's those soft skills, they, 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 that, that's what separates the, you know, the average from the from the best. If I had a dollar for every supremely talented athlete that I played with that, you know, was it was it out, out of the game in their mid-20s, I probably wouldn't be working now, Mark, to be honest. Mm. So, you know, those soft skills, that you know, the, the work ethic, uh, the commitment, the planning, I think that's really important, you know, learning and those that the ones who are able to reflect on their performances, um, really analyse and then get better and, you know, get that learning loop going. I think those are the ones that that really kick on as opposed to the ones who just sort of float through and don't really, mm. you know, have any, any planning, any structure to where they go mm. and any development. Mm. They're sort of really in the here and now. Mm. So that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway. I think that planning... Um, as a as a bedrock to to wherever you want to get to, I always say adversity is a good thing because it, you often find out who mm. is truly passionate, who yep. is who who truly does have that desire um, when yep. athletes face adversity because you've got two choices: yes. you can give up, you can quit, or you can keep going. Yep, yeah, that's right. And, and I think New Zealand cricket have got a lot better probably over the last ten years in valuing that apprenticeship that that athletes go through the domestic game. We've probably seen the maturation age of a cricketer being selected gone slightly older and that's happened in other sports too. Netball have had success with that and that lines up with what you've just said Mark about those athletes who have been through a journey, face some hard times and then they get to that age where they marry up the, the mental and the physical mm. and that's when the, the you know things really start to shine and it's not rocket science you know we all know it but sometimes you know selection policies and that get a little bit aligned and and but yeah that, that's the the key isn't it you've got to go through a, a bit, bit of life before you can really um you know make hay when you get into that international arena
There's been a bit of um, comment and maybe a little bit of criticism of New Zealand cricket on the way they've dealt with the Martin Guptill situation. I mean, a lot of organisations in terms of the way they deal with athletes being dropped or not making particular teams. Is there a right or a wrong way in how you deal with those situations? I mean, or is that just the hardness of professional sport? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't envy the situation. You know, they are New Zealand cricket navigating an ever-changing world at the moment. Hey, it is an environment that, unlike it's ever been, I mean, I don't think we're going to see athletes that are going to have the length of career that that they used to, um, just because of you know, like a Trent Bolt, you know, he's given his heart and soul for you know ten or twelve years and all three formats, and and now he's he's prioritising family, you know, and and those types of things, and and you, you can't blame them. So it's a New Zealand, and they've, New Zealand cricket have done it very well over the years, trying to tread that. You know the line between giving the athletes the autonomy to to choose their where they go, but also um, rewarding the ones that have shown commitment to New Zealand cricket and the national team. Um, but we're not a big player in the world. You know we can't just dictate to, to athletes. You know we don't pay them as big as the Indians or the Australians or the English. So we have to be really cognizant and have a good relationship with it with the players as a as a base. Mm. So so I mean they've done it really well, but I mean I don't know this specifics of the situations with, with Guppy but um, but yeah it's definitely a, a different world to what it was 10 years ago. Where does he rank amongst the all-time greats of one-day cricket? Does he deserve to be in the discussion if we were named the greatest one-day side? You, you know you look at the likes of the Astles, um, clearly the Ross yep. Taylors, the Brendan McCullums from a batting point of view. Does Guptill part of the yeah. discussion in terms of who opens at the top of the order? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, very much out of, out of the Nathan Astle ilk. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the stats to look at a, a pure stats-based decision. But, uh, I mean, when we think of those great innings, you know, and he's called big hundreds as well, um, anchored innings. And I'd love to see how many games we won when he got runs. I think there would be a high correlation. Um, so And fielding, you know, not to mention that fielding, he really owned that backward point area. You know, so probably in terms of net um, results out of a game, he would probably be in the positives more often than not, I would have thought, over the years. But, yeah, I mean, his, the talent was immense and, and, you know, it was not nice blowing to him on tiny New Zealand grounds, that's for sure. No, and I, I think that probably the standout performance we go on about the semi-final victory over South Africa in that World Cup that we shared with Australia here. But it was that yeah. quarter-final, I think, against the West Indies. He faced the first ball and he faced the last ball of the inning. He basically batted the entire yeah. way through, which is not an easy thing to do in one-day cricket. No, no, that's right. You know, that, that's a that's a fitness element. You know, it's a skill element. Um, the tempo of the innings, you know, we're seeing someone like Conway start to show some of those um, skills now around someone who can pace the innings just magically. No when to when to put the foot down and then just pull it back and then push again. It's it's a hell of a skill and one that teams can build themselves around, particularly with some of the hitting talent that we've got in the middle order. Mm-hmm. Andrew Ellis is my guest on the programme, talking cricket. Uh, so we've just talked about one of the great hundreds there from Martin Guptill in that World Cup against the West Indies, and we've seen some wonderful innings over the years. The performance from Tom Latham on Friday night, 145 of 104 balls. Where does that one rank? Yeah, well, I mean, it was one of those ones that just really crept up on you, and, and when you, you got to the end of it and looked back and thought, that is, that's one of the, you know, one of the best knocks I've ever seen. It was... 
And he's Tommy summed it up beautifully at the end, and probably Tommy to a T. He just he focused on getting himself into good positions and then just reacted. And if ever there was a, a lesson for a young cricketer coming through, then that's it. Just literally reacting, getting yourself the feet in the right place, the body in the right place, the hands up, and then just reacting. And that's when the, that's when the natural talent starts to emerge. And Tommy showed that the other night. It literally was just pure natural talent flowing out of out of each. Oh, I'm not sure he was an autopilot. I'm not sure he was even thinking. Well, why is he um, not considered for the New Zealand T20 team? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I think people like Tom and Henry Nichols, I think, particularly on big grounds, I think, personally, they should be in the mix. Guys who can manipulate the field um, and build those innings. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we've got Kane, we've got Devin um, in there. Uh, As soon as you... I mean, there's a lot of stats around how many balls a batter actually faces the further you go down from number five onwards. So... It really is about, if you're facing less than 15 balls on average, how productive are you in those first 15 balls? Um, and, you know, Tommy probably, again, is probably a runnable man up to the 50 and then, then looks to, to accelerate. Um, not to say he, he can't he can't also mm. hit, but um, there's some of those guys who, who just come from ball one and, and can clear the rope is probably that preference. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good, good, good problem to have, Mark, I think. Let's run through this New Zealand team uh, there or thereabouts. So Finn Allen, Conway at the top, Kane Williamson coming in at first drop, coming in at three, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Latham, uh, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Santner seems to be uh, rocks solid there as that sort of spin all rounder. Then we've got Adam Milne, Matt Henry, Tim Southey, Lockie Ferguson, uh, players clearly on the periphery that can change just a little bit. Have we got a nice balance? Is this a good New Zealand one day team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, how long has it been since we've had two genuine pace options and and, and Adam Milne and Lockie Ferguson? Um, you know, that, that's a great thing to have, a great asset to have. Uh, the experience of Tim in there to balance that out, and then the you know the quality of Matt Henry. He is you know, I played with Henry for years, and he's he's just he's an X-factor bowler. Um, it is a good balance. Maybe question marks on on an attacking spinner there at times, and and if we need that, but that's generally been New Zealand's method over the years, hasn't it? To attack with the seamers and, and hold an end with the, with the spinners, and and Santa does a, does a really good job in terms of that economy rate. So, so yeah, it is, it's, it's generally what what area, what um, you know method they want to go with. So it is, it's a pretty good balance. But that pace attack, I think, is. You know, with a bit more experience, and I think Adam Milne's still a young man in terms of experience. So hopefully, if he can keep the injuries at bay, he's got a lot of growth to come as well. I just want to get your thoughts too on Hagley Oval. I know when it was um, first tabled about turning it into an international cricket ground, Hagley Park, there was um, a lot of discussion around. A lot of people weren't in favour of it, but I think personally, I think it's been a great asset for the city of Christchurch. I think it's sort of hidden away nicely. It doesn't intrude on. Hagley Park to any real degree um, what's the general sort of consensus in Christchurch are people proud of that ground now yes uh, I think that's that's a pretty good summation of it Mark um, all those there's the hypotheticals and um, the stuff that was trotted out during that time and unfortunately it cost the game of cricket a lot of money going through that environment court process um, and most people of reasonable rational nature could see what the outcome was going to be and that's been realised a a gem for the city 
perfectly set in the context of Hackley Park. The lights have had added another dimension. Again, all the all the the naysayers, you know, they're gone now. Um, people are seeing it's activated that area of the park. What was basically a pretty, you know, I wouldn't say a miserable part of the park because I played a lot of cricket out there, but it was this has turned it into a, a, a gem now. Now that we have the Sir Richard Hadley Sports Centre attached to it in the same venue, Canterbury has a real offering and a chance to to make that that cricket precinct at Hagley Hagley Park, you know, one of the leading um, venues for cricket and. In New Zealand, so things are really coming together. It's uh, it's fantastic to be a part of, and and hopefully we can keep you know keep. I mean, there is a few around the country now in Tauranga, but it's uh, it's great to have these grounds that befit the way New Zealanders want to watch the game. Yeah, it looked great at the uh, Women's World Cup earlier in the year as well. It was a yeah, lovely, lovely um, backdrop yeah. for that World Cup. Uh, is it a wicket that traditionally um, is the same year in, year out? I mean, describe the sort of the playing conditions, the batting conditions that you historically get at Hagley Oval, May, maybe uh, firstly from a one-day point of view and then maybe at a test match level. Yeah, there's definitely that, that, that little bit more bounce that um, has characterised Hagley Oval. It's probably has slowed up a little bit of late, um, but you generally still get the ability to nick people off on a regular basis. Good bowlers will hit the splice, um, and good spinners will bounce the ball as well. Um, but we haven't seen too many spin options employed at Hagley Oval, but that may come into the future. Uh, but yeah, just a little bit more bounce is great. If you can get in on that on that wicket, you can score 360 as well. So if, if it is a good wicket. Um, it can be really nice to bat on. But as a bowler, if you've got that quality, that bounce and that pace, then you know, you've know you got those opportunities as well to nick people off, which, you know, how many times over the years have we, have we gone into that full and straight mode in longer form cricket? Um, but Hagley doesn't really get to that. You're always always in with a chance. But yeah, there's, it's a fantastic wicket when it, when it keeps that bounce and the big boundaries, of course. Do you historically, if you win the toss, do you bat first or do you bat second? Um, I think in longer form cricket, they've definitely tended to leave a lot of grass on it, um, knowing that at the, the middle couple of days will really um, flatten out into a nice wicket. Um, if you didn't have that, that first day as a challenging day, then you might end up with some docile mm-hmm. results. So you almost, I mean, we used to talk about it, Hagley, just getting to that 250, 260, um, just advancing the game knowing that, that we could either, you know, bowl teams out on the last day with spin through Todd Astle or, or pace through, you know, if we had Matt Henry playing. So, but, but advancing the game in the first innings was always the key. So if you could get 250, 260, um, you know, things were, things, you were in the game to start with. Mm. Look, just finally, um, Andrew, and I do appreciate your time tonight. It's been a wonderful insight. I was talking to um, uh, Garth Galloway and a number of other cricket commentators and I just sort of look at the state of cricket at the moment and Brendan McCullum coming out in an interview in the last 24 hours saying, look, we've got to do everything to protect Test cricket. It's still a pinnacle and I completely agree with him. It's still what I love to watch. How do we get the magic back, though, of the 1980s and the 1990s with the one-day game? Because T20 cricket came along. It came along with a bit of a hiss and a roar, but it seems so much of it now that's almost become, we've almost become a little bit complacent yeah. around that. So where does cr- cricket currently sit? And how does it, I, I don't know, how does it maximise itself commercially and from an interest point of view? Yeah. Where does that sit? How does it look? 
Yeah, no, I think it's going to take some real visionaries at the top of the game to, to, to get through this challenge. I think there's no doubt when you've got um, series happening you know, less than a week after a World Cup, um, you're going to get players, you know, not at the top of their game. Um, how can you have, you know, the context and that that real competitive, that fierce nature? I mean, what you know, why did we love the Black Ferns in the in the um, World Cup? Every game was a contest. Mm. You know, it was it was entertainment. You were on the edge of your seat, and that's what sport needs to be about and that's why people love test cricket because test cricket maintains that and I just how can we knowing that T20 is a big money spinner but the longevity of a T20 game and and the public's mind is not there but the great test matches are so how do we set ourselves up in a calendar and a context that can allow the pinnacle of the game to be I mean look at the the World Cup the Football World Cup at the moment Mm. it is it is protected. It's four years. Uh, everyone knows it's got heritage. It's got history. It doesn't get tinkered with too much yet. But it is, you know, and the seasons. Each each country's got their season that they they play, and it's it's the window, that, and they know what they're going for. There's competition, and there's a real purpose to the athletes playing the sport. So, jeepers, yeah, how do you how do you navigate well, that with bilateral series and everything? Well, T20 cricket for me, it's great entertainment. We beat Australia. Hey, I'm happy for an hour but I don't wake up the next Saturday I don't feel like there's any real sort of legacy attached to it and I guess you know where Test Cricket clearly does you go back to Tasmania 2011 when we beat Australia over there I'll still say our greatest achievement was the series win in 1985 Um, you know two tests to one always remember that and it's like how does the if you're going to have T20 cricket how do you place greater importance on it and if you can have one day cricket how do you manufacture these series to have yeah. greater importance rather than just this yeah it almost feels like a little bit like exhibition at the moment that's right yeah and you know is it too outlandish to to think that t20 cricket might just be played in franchises and have a world cup every four years um and there's no international t20 cricket played in between is that too much of an outlandish thought mm. the money men would probably say yes um, but in terms of maintaining that integrity, you know, going to a probably more of a football model in that regard, people play for their clubs and then come together, you know, once every four years in the T20 context to play for a World Cup. Maybe that might segregate things. And then, you know, when you play for your country, you're playing test cricket and, you know, perhaps ODIs. So I don't know. There's a lot. There's well, a lot I mean, I, I watched that one day the other day at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. 10,000 people looked empty. And here you've got yeah. Stephen Smith, you've got... Um, David Warner, you've got some of the best cricketers that have ever played for Australia. Then you've got England who've just won the T20 Cricket World Cup and yeah. no one's there watching it. And you think, man, if those two can't grab a crowd, oof, cricket's got to be worried. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, you know, to see a here Ben Stokes coming out and saying that, you know, we're not we're not cars. You can't just fuel them up and expect them to, you know, get out there and run as good as, as always. Things will, uh, players will, will start to break down and, and we'll get a, a lesser product if we don't don't look after them and get the balance right. Uh, definitely one of the challenges um, for administrators coming up, I think. Andrew Ellis, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you, mate. And um, look, all the very best um, in your current role with High Performance NZ. Thank you very much, Mark. Good to chat, mate.